Welcome to The Flight Deck, a leading-edge podcast. I'm your host, Dave Allen. With me today is our contract hotline guru, Scott Kinder. Hey, Scott, thanks for being here. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be here. Today we'll be talking about common hotline PDRs and questions. Before we get to that, though, tell me a little bit about yourself, Scott. Uh, Dave, I've been here at uh, United for about 25 years. I'm currently a 737 captain flying out of Chicago, and I've been doing outpo work for about 16 years now. I'm on the MEC Grievance Committee, and uh, my pr- primary job is to uh, oversee and run the contract PDR hotline. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Uh, what does the hotline do? Uh, the contract hotline is manned by 23 volunteers, and they all work on their free time. And uh, we answer time-critical contract and FAR questions dealing with the current operation. So things happening today, tomorrow, yesterday, those types of questions, not things in the future, weeks in the future, those types of questions. Are there questions the contract hotline does not really dive into? When you fill out a PDR online, you'll see in red verbiage the things that we don't cover. And those include uh, trip trade type questions, pay questions, uh, things that we really can't get into and go and do a an audit to answer those types of questions. We can't answer why you didn't get a trip trade. We can't answer why your pay is messed up, stuff like that. Even, even though you may think it's time critical, and it may be, it's just not something that the contract hotline can really get into. So when you're filling out that PDR uh, page, kind of read that verbiage that's on there and make sure the question you're going to ask uh, falls into that category. Okay. That's good information to know. How many PDRs does the hotline get on average each month? When I first started uh, running the uh, hotline, we averaged 50 to 60 a month, and uh, we are now up over 200. So um, you can do the math. It's grown exponentially, and I don't know what has caused it, but we've gone to a 15,000-plus pilot airline now, so obviously more pilots, more questions. Uh, Typically, uh, we would see... uh, spikes during uh, weather events, blizzards, uh, stuff like that. Um, and then that would uh, cause us our, our counts to go up during the month. But right now we're pretty sustained at getting between 150, 200 PDRs uh, per month. Okay. And I actually am a member of the group that helps answer these PDRs. Um, and so we also see spikes off times like towards the end of the month. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. Um, well, let's start Uh, first talking about some uh, PDRs that we get from reserves. And I would say a majority of the PDRs we get are from reserves. Would that be accurate? Yes. I would say a a lot of PDRs are from reserves. I'm not sure if it's the majority, but we do get a lot of PDRs about reserve questions. Good. So um, let's talk first about kind of the order that reserves are supposed to be assigned. Okay. This is a very common question that we get on the hotline because a pilot will look at the FIFO list and he'll say, oh, I'm a five-day reserve and I only see a two-day trip open. So he thinks that he's in the clear. And all of a sudden, they're assigned that two-day trip. And so we get a PDR asking why they skipped all these other pilots. And so it's important for people to understand that when the crew desk is assigning a a trip or an assignment, a short call, field standby, whatever it is, the first thing they do is they decide, am I going to use a long call, a short call, or a field standby pilot? That's their call. They get to make it. Um, Once they made that decision, then they start looking at the silos. So if it's a two-day trip, they're going to go to the two-day silo. And then once they do that, they'll start looking down 
is there somebody that's in that two-day silo that's available? If there's not, they go to the three-day silo. If it's not, the four-day silo. And they keep on going until they get to somebody who's free. Once they say, okay, we're going to use uh, the five-day silo, then they go into the FIFO list. And so they'll look down that five-day silo and f- who's, f- who's number one on long call that's available for that trip. And that's how that pilot could end up getting that trip, even though it was a five-day uh, long call. Okay. Just for the people who are listening who may not be sure, what does FIFO mean? FIFO is first in, first out list. So that is, if you look up the reserve availability on CCS, it's under trip trading, I believe. Um, when you pull that up, that is the FIFO list, the first in, first out. And so it basically ranks reserves based upon when they finish their last reserve assignment. And that's where they go into uh, that FIFO list. The only change on that is people coming off last days off, they are assumed to have finished at midnight. So they go at the bottom of that FIFO list. And so um, they'll come in at the very bottom of that FIFO list for that silo. And then the very next day, they're shuffled in with everybody else based upon when they finished their last reserve assignment, which is also another common PDR question that we get, which is why did I start off as number seven today? And all of a sudden tomorrow, you know, the next day I'm number three. And so that's why. That's a good explanation of the FIFO list. All right. So let's talk now about those month-end transitions that I mentioned earlier. Um, We get a lot of PDRs um, that are from reserves that are going into line holder months or line holders going into reserve months. Um, I would say more from probably reserves going into a line holder month. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about what a common PDR would look like from a reserve that's just been assigned a trip that's going into a line holder month and it's touching his days off in the line holder month? Sure. Well, like you said, this is something we get a lot of at the end of the month. And the reason it, it gets people is when you're looking at the FIFO list and your reserve, it's only looking at the number of reserve days that you have available. It's not looking past that into your line holder month. So if you are a one-day reserve, it's looking at it and saying you've got one reserve day. That's all it sees. And then you're followed by a bunch of days off in your line holder month. Well, those days off in your line holder month are not HDOs. And a lot of pilots think they're treated like HDOs, holy days off. And they're not. They're just line holder days off, which can be assigned a trip into. Now, under Section 20K, under Reserve Bypass, they're supposed to try not to use you initially if they can, but they can use you into that line holder month. So even though you may just be a one-day reserve, they can use you to pick up a, to fly a four-day trip, and that's perfectly legal. Um, so when they're trying to assign a trip to a reserve and they're going into a line holder month, what they're looking for is uh, a reserve that doesn't have any RDO or FDO disruption. Next, they go to, um, they want to use a reserve that's going into a line holder month that doesn't need a repair to a subsequent trip in that line holder month. And then they look at a reserve who has a line holder month coming up that will need a repair on a follow-on trip or a um a reserve who needs an RDO disrupted. They're both kind of considered the same. It's crew desk discretion at that point. So, um, but that's kind of the order they go into when they're looking at assigning a trip going into that line holder month. So if I'm a reserve and I'm assigned a trip, and, and we should clarify, that's an assignment, not a reassignment, correct? Correct. So if I'm assigned a trip into a line holder month and in that line holder month, I have 16 days off and it takes two of those days off. What happens to those days off 
in that line holder month. So unfortunately, uh, there's two ways you get days restored under the contract. One is Section 20N, which is reassignments into a day off. And one is under Section 5F, which is men days off. And if you fall below your minimum days off, which is normally 12 days for a uh, line holder that doesn't have prorated days off or anything. So we'll just use that 12 hour, uh, 12 days right now. So in your situation, since you're not reassigned into those days off, we fall under 5F. So if you had 16 days off, you've lost two, you're at 14, you're still above min days off. Unfortunately, you don't get those days off restored. So I've donated those days to the company, essentially. You have. You are getting paid for it. So you are getting that into your LPV and PTC for your line holder month. But unfortunately, you don't get those days off restored. Okay, thanks. Um, so let's reverse it. Now I'm a line holder and I'm going into a reserve month. What are some of the things I should look for there? Maybe some of the gotchas. Okay, so a line holder going into a reserve uh, month, there's two scenarios. And one of those is you are flying a trip and that trip ends on the last day of your line holder month. In that situation, you start as a line holder, you end as a line holder. We'll say, for example, you finished up at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. It's not treated as a last day off on reserve. You're still a line holder. So you're on duty essentially until midnight. And then once you come off duty at midnight, then that's when you're available for them to assign you something off reserve. It's the same as if you were coming off mill leave or alpha days, stuff like that. Known absences, I guess the best way to say it. If you start as a line holder, you fly the trip as a line holder, and you're treated as a line holder, but once you finish that trip and you end your debrief time, you transition into reserve status. So you immediately go on long call at that point. So if I'm a line holder going into reserve month and a commuter, um, I need to understand that when I get done with that debrief, I'm on phone availability. Correct. You're just like a reserve commuting at that point. So if you're going to be out of contact for a length of time, you'd want to call the crew desk and let them know when you'd be phone available again. Okay. Appreciate that. When does a reserve go back on phone availability after an assignment? Um, whether it's a trip, whether it's a short call, a field standby? Pretty much almost all the time, uh, except for rare conditions, um, you're immediately back on long call once you finish an assignment. So all of our rest is prospective rest. What that means is your rest comes after you're given an assignment. So if I get back from a trip, I immediately go back on long call. And then if they assign me something, the, the from the time they assign me till the time I report again is now your far rest. So once the, uh, you get back and you're on long call, if they assign you a trip, uh, you'd have 12 hours to report for a field standby or a or trip and 10 hours for a short call. During that time is your far rest. Where we get guys in trouble is they come back and they look at the uh, contract and they think, I've got 1245 free post-trip rest. And so they turn their phone off and they end up getting an, unable to contact from the crew desk. Um, and that's the gotcha. You're not on a post-trip rest. You are just – that 1245 is the soonest you could report again, but you're still on a, a phone availability during that time. All right. So while we're still on reserve pilots, another question we see often um, relates to OE blocker days. And though we haven't seen it as much lately, in the past we've seen it, and we may see it again because – Sometimes OE blocker days, you get finished before you're done, and sometimes you get finished after. So 
if I get finished before I'm done with my OE blocker days, what is my responsibility to the company? So this is actually something we've seen popping up quite a bit lately, as you know, uh, probably due to all the training going on right now. But under Section 20C3C5, the OE blocker days are blocked out for you to get your OE training done. So if you complete your OE training before the end of those blocker days, then per the contract, you have no responsibility to the company at all. So if you have three days left of OE blocker days, you're off. Those are your three days for you to, to use. If you are going past those OE blocker days um, because of delay in OE and everything, then they're going to put in a new code in your master schedule. It's usually called uh, IOEP or um, DNF days. Uh, they'll put that code into your master schedule that keeps you from showing up on a FIFO list, for example, or um, uh, the crew desk from using you uh, because you're not qualified yet. So over those days that you're blocked out, you're getting OE trips. And then once you finish that OE trip and uh, you are now qualified, they're going to remove any of those remaining IOEP days or DNF days from your schedule, and then you revert to whatever your underlying schedule is from your PBS bid that month. That's remaining for the rest of the month. Um, that could mean that they might have to do a schedule repair for you if you don't have your min days off. What they'll do is go in and reprorate your min days off for the month, both line holder or uh, reserve. And if you're reserved, they'll add in extra days off if you need it. And if you're a line holder, they'll do a schedule repair if they have to do that to get your men days off. All right. So they can add more days off, but they can't take away days off via that proration, correct? That's correct. So if your new prorated days off after OE was nine and you still had 10, they're not going to take one away. You're, you're good. Those are your men days off. You mentioned uh, your last day off before you come on to reserve days. Um, what are my requirements as a reserve pilot as I'm reaching, as I'm sitting on my last day off prior to coming on to reserve days? Okay, so your last day off on reserve falls under 20K7 of the contract and uh, has a laundry list of uh, requirements for the pilot as well as the crew desk uh, when they're going to assign, assign you something. There's no requirement for a pilot to be phone available on their last day off. And what we get typically at the, at the uh, hotline, pilots get confused with 20K7 requirements and also FAR 117 requirements where they are being told by fellow pilots that the earliest uh, show time they can have on their first day is 10 a.m. And so where they get confused on that is there's two legalities that we look at on that 20K7 on the last day off. One's contractual, one's FAR. So two different things. The 20K7 is our contractual limitation. So it says, hey, anything assigned between 1 and 1459, the earliest departure time is 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. And anything assigned between 1500 and 1759, the earliest show is 9 a.m. And then anything after 1800 is 12 o'clock. Those are contractual limitations. So they can give you a trip with a 7 a.m., departure time as long as it's a sign between 1 and 1459 so we'll get pdrs from people say hey this is an illegal assignment they gave me no it's not that's perfectly legal now we get into the other part of the contract which says a pilot is required to check their schedule between 1800 and 2359 and acknowledge any assignment by 2359 so 
if you wait until 2359 to acknowledge that assignment, FAR says that when you make two-way contact with the company, you have to have 10 hours prospective rest. That's where the 10 a.m. earliest report comes in, is if I always wait until 2359 to acknowledge any assignment, the earliest show is 10 a.m., and that's a FAR limit, not contractual. So that's the difference there. So taking my example before, if they'd given you a trip with a 7 a.m. departure and they assigned it at 2 a.m. or 2 p.m., that's perfectly legal. But if you wait till 2359 to acknowledge it, it's not legal. You don't have 10 hours rest. And the crew desk knows that. So as you start going past that 7 p.m., as it starts going past 9 p.m. in the evening, and they know they don't have 10 hours rest for you and you haven't called them, they're going to remove it and give it to somebody else. So the crew desk kind of knows about that as well. So I'm, just so I understand correctly, I'm required to make two-way contact, whether through CCS or by a phone call prior to midnight. Only for assignments that are in there prior to 1800. So anything that comes in there after 1800, um, it depends on whether you've checked your schedule or not. So if I check my schedule at 1800, nothing's there, you can turn off your phone and wait till midnight till you go on long call. I check my schedule at 1800, they throw a trip in there at 1900 for a uh, noon departure. That's legal contractually, but I don't have to check my schedule continuously. I checked it once. That's all that's required. So if I don't acknowledge the trip by 2359, the crew desk has to call me after midnight and assign me that trip now using normal long call callouts. So if it was a 12 o'clock departure and now they call me at 1230, I'm no longer legal for it. Another common PDR we have is in relation to field standby. And particularly um, being assigned a trip that falls outside the four hours of field standby. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah, so when you get a field standby, it's a four-hour field standby period. And But the contract says anything assigned to you has to be scheduled to depart within five hours of the field standby start time. The, the key word is scheduled. So not actual, but scheduled within that five hours. So the PDRs that we typically get is a pilot will send in a, a PDR saying that he was assigned a trip. It's scheduled. It was originally scheduled to part within that five hours, but as soon as he got the assignment, 15 minutes later, it pushed back an hour and a half. And so they're wondering if that's legal. Or they're looking at the United app and the plane's delayed coming in. So they're like, there's no way this plane's going to be in here in time for me to, to depart when they're saying it's going to depart within that five-hour period. So they think it's illegal. Uh, when it comes down to that, we look at, it's was it scheduled within that five-hour period? Yes or no? It's pretty black and white. If it's scheduled departure time within that five-hour period, it's a legal assignment. Now we start getting into the gray area of was this really kind of skirting the rules because this plane was never going to be in here or not. That's really where we tell the pilot they're going to have to bring that up with the FODM and talk with them. Because you have to remember, it may show in the app that the plane's late coming in, but the crew desk could be looking for a new plane. Or I shouldn't say the crew desk, but you know, the NOC might be looking for a new plane to swap out. And that's their plan. So you're perfectly legal doing that. If it's pretty obvious that there was no way you were going to get out within that five-hour period, bring it up to the FODM, make your case to them. We've had the FODM overrule some of those as there was no way it was going to get out within that five-hour period. But for the most part, as long as it's scheduled within that scheduled to depart within that five-hour period, it's a legal assignment. Okay, thanks. 
Um, we get a lot of uh, 30 and 168 questions. And the old rule used to be you had to have one day off in seven, but now it's really 30 hours break in, 100, uh, uh, in 168 hours. Um, and I think oftentimes that applies more to reserves than line holders, uh, simply because lines are built with those breaks kind of in, in them. So um, let's talk about this as it applies to reserves. Um, and more specifically, that six-day block of reserves. What happens when a reserve is on their last day off? We just mentioned they have to check their schedule between 1800 and 2359. That's duty. We have to account for that. So the way the crew desk accounts for that is they go in and they put a one minute of work and, and they put it at 1800 in your schedule at the earliest point that you could possibly have to go in and check your schedule per the contract. So they put that one minute in there and that whole purpose is to break your rest for the 30 and 168 rest rules. So then since it's 30 hours and 168, You've just finished up your last your last thirty hour break, which means we have one hundred and thirty eight hours now from that point until I need a new thirty hour rest break. Is the is an easy way to think of that. If you count that out over the days, one hundred and thirty eight hours is five hours, five days, and uh, uh, 12 hours. So if you kind of go out, it's, it comes up at noon on day six. Okay, so you are legal to start any FDP all the way up till 12 noon on day six. 12.01, you're not legal to start an FDP after that point. You can start one before it and finish up on that day. You can start up, finish up, you know, can start at 11.45 in the morning, finish up at 12 that night. That'd be perfectly legal. It's all about starting an FDP. The, uh, if, if it's after 12.01, the only thing you'd really be legal to do is deadhead. So they could deadhead you somewhere for a 30-hour layover, or they could deadhead you home on a trip, and you'd be perfectly legal because that's not an FDP. It's just a flying assignment. So uh, that's where kind of the 30 and 168 kicks in with the reserves on that six-day block. What happens if I aggressively pick up a trip or I notify scheduling that I saw a trip that was on my schedule prior to that 6 p.m.? So if you aggressively pick up a trip, or the crew desk calls you with a trip and you answer the phone. So let's just say you make two-way contact is the best way to say it. If you make two-way contact with the crew desk prior to 1800, then there's no requirement for you to go in and check your schedule. So they won't need to put that CDW in there. So because of that, your rest will continue all the way from when it ended last time until the report time for your assignment. And then your new uh, 138 hours would start from that point. So, Scott, when we're talking about that 30-hour rest, am I phone available during that 30-hour rest? No, you're not. You're, that's uh, per the FARs. If you're required to be phone available, that is not FAR rest. When can you get that 30 hours rest? Does it have to be at home? Can it be on a trip? Nope. Three-hour rest can be um, at home. It can also be on the road in a layover in a hotel. The uh, thing about the rest is it has to be a perspective. So it means that what that means is you have to know about it going in. And this is some common errors we find, uh, both with the crew desk and the pilots, is not understanding that it has to be a prospective rest. I'll give you some examples here. Uh, you have a layover, and your layover is scheduled for 27 hours. And as you are going into your layover, you're in your layover, and the crew desk calls you and says, hey, your, your flight has been delayed. And so now you're going to depart. I'm sorry, you're, you've been reassigned. We'll say you've been reassigned. So they gave you a new trip. It leaves four hours later. So your new showtime 
it's a 31 hour break. You have a 31 hour layover. Well, it wasn't perspective. You didn't know you had a 30 hour labor when you went into it. You had 27 hours. So we can't count that 30 hours as a 30 hour and 168 break. Okay, by the FARs, we can't do that. The problem is in CCS, it looks like 30, you got a 31 hour break in there. So it's it's set up to to get you in trouble uh, with the FARs if you don't realize what's happening there when you start counting back your 30 and 168 rules and your rest and you start trying to figure out when you did it last if you're just looking at your schedule and you say oh i had a 31 hour layover there i'm good to go well actually you weren't because it wasn't a prospective rest so that's one example another one we just talked about um where a reserve could pick something up and the rest would continue until they showed up again at their thing uh, if you have a one day off in between reserve blocks, you have to be really careful on that because when you go into your rest after that reserve day, you're expecting to check your schedule at 1800 that next day. So if I'm released at 10 a.m., well, I have, you know, basically more than 30 hours before 1800 the next day. So whether I pick something up or I don't pick up something up, I had a prospective rest when I went into that reserve rest and I had that 30 hours. But let's just say on that last reserve day, you finished up a trip at three in the afternoon. Well, in this case, you only had 27 hours prospective rest going into that one day off because you were expecting to check your schedule at 1800. If you check your schedule at 1800 and they put that CDW in there, it's going to flag it. They're going to say, oh, this guy doesn't have a 30-hour break or 30-hour rest reset. And it'll let the crew desk know and the pilot know that they need to get a 30-hour rest in here. If, however, you pick up a trip in the middle of the afternoon, which has you reporting the next day in the morning, there's no requirement for them to put a CDW in there now because there's no requirement for you to go in and check your schedule. So they won't put that in there. However, you'd never had a prospective 30-hour rest. So unless you have 30 hours from the moment that you pick up that new trip to the report of that new trip, you still have not reset your 30-hour rest reset. So those are, those are kind of two gotchas right there. The big thing to think about is all your rest has to be prospective. You have to know about it prior to going into it. Otherwise, it doesn't count to reset it. Okay, and that's uh, specific to... Is that just specific to the 30 hour in 168, 30 and 168? Oh, no. Uh, all rest has to be perspective. Um, well, that leads me kind of into a different question here. Um, we get many PDRs about phone calls from crew scheduling and whether or not a phone call from crew scheduling breaks our FAR rest. Give me an example of something crew scheduling may do that would break my uh, perspective rest. Yeah, sure. So per the FARs, the crew, the crew desk, or I should say the company, may interrupt your rest one time with a phone call where you answer without it interrupting your rest, resetting your rest, okay? They can call you as many times as they want without you answering, and that's not breaking your rest per the FARs. It might lead to a fatigue call, but it's not a FAR rest break. But let's just say they call you at 10, they call you, during your rest and they say, Hey, we got to, uh, we're going to push back your departure time to 1030. And you're like, okay, thanks. And you hang up. And then one minute later, they call you back and they say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean 1030. I'm in 1130. Well, that's a second call that just broke your rest. So from that point, you need another 10 hours. One time two-way contact. Okay. 
more than one time two-way contact, not okay. You have to have the new rest break. Correct. They'd have to do a new prospective 10-hour rest break. That makes sense. All right, let's talk a little bit about reassignments uh, and day-off restoration. Uh, we get a lot of, again, a lot of PDRs regarding reassignments. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons for a reassignment. I don't think we should cover all those here. Um, as a short refresher, if you lose the originating segment of your trip prior to report time, you get repaired under 20F1A. And if you lose it after uh, your report time, uh, you're repaired under 20F1B. And then uh, if you lose downline segments, so after you've done that first leg, uh, that first segment, uh, you're repaired under 20F2. Um, but sometimes when I lose a trip, I see an AV day, AV days or an AV code on my schedule. Can you kind of give me the brief dirty on AV days? Okay, so you kind of mentioned it. 20F1A is loss of the originating segment, the first leg of your trip, prior to report time. And if you look in the contract, there's a bunch of different options they have there uh, to repair you. Everything from releasing you from responsibility to giving you a new trip, uh, giving you a field standby. And one of the options is giving you what's called available days or AV days. And it would cover the length of your trip and it's just giving the company the ability to give you new flying in the future. So the company would have up to uh, 1,500 the day prior to the start of that uh, block of AV days to give you new flying. Uh, the restrictions on that is any new flying they give you can't start earlier than three hours prior to your original uh, departure time or, or uh, 1,800, which rather is earlier. And it can't uh, go into a scheduled day off. So if you had a three-day trip, they couldn't give you a four-day trip. Um, the gotcha with this is the company, when they drop a trip and they are pay protecting you for the value of that trip and your PTC, the code they use is AV. It's the same code. So people will see AV in their master schedule and think, oh, I've been given AV days. And in fact, you haven't. It's just that's just the code to pay protect you for that trip being dropped. The only way you know that you've been given uh, block AV day repair in the 20F1A is they call you and specifically tell you we dropped your trip and you are on AV days. That's it. That's the only way that you know you've been uh, uh, re uh, repaired. Otherwise, they still have all the way up until report time to repair you uh, for your. Uh, for that trip originating segment that dropped. You can always call the crew desk and ask them, hey, have I been repaired? Am I on AV days? If they say yes, then you have. There you go. There's your two-way contact. Now, there's a did you know out from the grievance committee that goes into this and explains it. So I highly recommend everybody reads it. Um, and there is a caveat in there that says that if a pilot sees an AV day in their master schedule, and it becomes after 1500 the day prior, then they may, may assume that those were block AV days and that they are free from responsibility. This has led to some confusion because it's kind of in a bad spot in that did you know that only, uh, that only pertains to the first two paragraphs, bullets one and two of that did you know, not bullets three and four. One and two deal with what happens if you get AV days uh, prior to 1500 the day uh, of the trip when you can actually get AV days. Once it's past 1500, the day, uh, the, the day prior to that trip, 
AV days aren't an option anymore. So they couldn't even give it to you to begin with. So if I see AV on my schedule and it's past 1500 the day prior to my trip, am I assuming that that's more of a pay protection code? Depends on when it went in. When did your trip cancel? So if your trip canceled after 1500 the day prior, then yes, I would assume that's just a pay protection because AV days aren't um, an option. But in that situation, the crew desk still hasn't repaired you. So they still have up until report time to give you a 20F1A repair. And then they could still give you a 20F1B repair with t- within two hours from that. So if you see something like that, the easiest thing is just call the crew desk and ask them. They may just release you, and then you don't have to make the drive to the airport. Okay, let's uh, talk about other reassignments that we may get. Um, there's several other times that you can get reassigned. Uh, so let's kind of go through them one by one. Um, tell me about uh, when I get reassigned passing through another hub. Okay. So if you get reassigned through another hub, that's uh, typically a 20I5 reassignment. And that's due to a uh, legality issue or a misconnect from another crew. And so uh, you'll, typically you'll see that on your pairing. The, the crew schedules will put that in as a little note. That you've been reassigned under 20I5. Uh, there is a caveat on there that you get 30 minutes of ad pay for them taking your trip away. Don't spend it all in one place. The uh, So they'll take that, so you get that uh, 30 minutes of ad pay, or if that trip that they've reassigned you to gets back later than originally scheduled, uh, then you might qualify for 20L6 ad pays. And if that ad pay adds up to more than 30 minutes, then you get that instead. So, but any assign, reassignment they give you under that 20I5 has to comply with section 20L reassignment rules. Uh, for when they get you back. And that's all based on what your original arrival, arrival time was. So the the quick answer on that is 20L. Uh, prior like prior to noon, they have to get you back by when? Yeah, so if your original, uh, original return time on your original trip was before noon, they have to have you back before noon the following day. And if uh, this is a basic trip, and then if it's uh, from noon to midnight, then uh, they have to have you back before midnight the following day. For that, if you're um, a global trip, then it, it kind of goes into that as well. It depends on what fleet you're on and how long they can have you out there. So you'd want to look at that under Section 20L, or you can uh, file a PDR, and the hotline guys can help you answer that if you have questions. Now, what about untriggered reassignments? What are those? So untriggered reassignments are uh, they're rare, but they do happen. That's a 20I9 reassignment, and that is where a pilot is given a, a new flying that is not triggered by something else happening. Most of the time it's triggered. Like you said before, I've lost my originating segment or I lost a downline segment. So I'm getting new flying, that's triggered. Passing through a hub, 20I5, someone's misconnecting, that's triggered. An example of an untriggered reassignment would be there's an you're flying through Chicago and there's an open trip sitting in Chicago. It's an Orlando turn. We'll just throw that out. So there's an open pairing sitting in Chicago. So as you pass through uh, Chicago, the crew desk realizes they just they don't have anybody to fill this pairing. So they can grab you, you go fly that, and now whatever you are going to fly, they can have a reserve who's coming through that can go fly that. So they take you off your pairing. They now throw you, throw you on that open Chicago pairing with that Orlando turn. That would be considered untriggered because nothing happened within your pairing. Nothing happened to somebody else's pairing and they are assigning you that open flying. So you would get 150% ad pay 
uh, for all flying uh, done until they linked you back up into to your original trip or your trip ended. So again, it's very rare and it's really kind of hard to figure out whether you've been untriggered or not. Uh, so really in those situations, we end up having to send it over to our SSC guys at the NOC who can go do the forensics to see where this flying came from. Uh, most of the time, uh, 98% of the time it's going to be triggered. There's a, did you know out there as well? What's an untriggered reassignment? I would recommend people read that and it usually walks you through it. And then you can kind of see if your situation falls into that particular situation for the untriggered. The master did you know list we will attach to the show notes so if you have any questions there will be a link to the master did you know list in our show notes so what happens when i get to san antonio and crew scheduling is calling me and asking me to do some flying and i'm supposed to be on my layover so that would be a 20j reassignment Uh, and that's again it's kind of like 20i it's just at a non-hub so you've been reassigned uh and because we kind of penalize the, com- the company a little bit for reassigning you at a hub because there are reserves there, um, but they're choosing not to use the reserves. They're using the line holder coming through. So we get 30 minutes of ad pay for that. At 20J, because there's no other pilots there, they're not penalized for that. So basically, you're just reassigned to other open flying that has happened because of another cruise legality or misconnect at a non-hub location. Again, once they reassign you, anything they give you has to comply with Section 20L uh, limitations on getting you back to base. But unfortunately, unless you fly longer, later, or into a day off uh, and get the 20L6 ad pays, uh, you don't get anything for that. All right. So I'm a guy who likes line day trips. And uh, what happens if I'm, you know, working a trip that's, say, you know, Chicago, Fort Lauderdale, Dulles, back to Chicago? And one of my legs cancels. What are my responsibilities to, to the crew desk at that point or to the company at that point? So that would be a downline cancel that we talked about earlier, 20F2 reassignment. So, uh, well, your responsibilities is you need to be contactable by the company. They're going to repair you somehow. They might deadhead you to catch up to your trip or they might have you go fly somewhere completely different. Um, as long as it complies with Section 20L return limits, uh, then that's a legal reassignment. So I didn't pack for a layover, yet I could end up on a layover into the next day. But there would be some ad pay associated with that then. Yep, you would get 20L6 ad pay for that. The 20L6 ad pay is uh, if you're reassigned and you get back later than originally scheduled, you get 50% ad pay for all scheduled flight time after your original return time. And if you are flown into a day off, then you would get 100% ad pay for all scheduled flight time uh, into uh, on that day off. And that's flight time or? Scheduled flight time. Or not, so not a deadhead. Deadhead would get it too. Okay, deadhead yep. would get it as well. Okay. Yep, deadhead gets it. And that actually has a cutout. There's a carve out in 20L6 uh, that talks about deadheads. And some, sometimes people get confused with this. Um, a deadhead only back to base is not considered a reassignment. And if you ever want to know what the definition of a reassignment is, it's in the definition section, chapter two, two tango tango has what a definition of a reassignment is. And that's new flying. They give you new flying. Um, a deadhead just back to base because you broke or you ran out of duty day, something like that, to get you back to base is not considered a reassignment. 
So we did get a carve out in 20L6 though, that it's treated like one. So you still get the ad pays as if you were reassigned. But what people run into is they go try to get their day off restored and the crew desk says, nope, no soup for you because you weren't reassigned. And they're right because you weren't reassigned. You don't get 20 in uh, day off restoration. You would get it restored though. If you fell below your men days off under five F, but um, just a deadhead only back to base would not qualify you for a day off restoration. Now I will add one caveat. Let's say they gave you new flying and part of that new flying is they give you some new flying segments. They have you laying over and on the next day, deadhead and back to base. In that case, the new flying was the cause of the deadhead. So you would get the day off restoration restored on that one. All right. Sounds like there's some detective work that has to be done sometimes on these PDRs. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, okay. So for a reserve, off times they will, just due to the nature of, of pairings, they will end with a deadhead back to their base. And we get PDRs where a guy says, hey, I'm being reassigned. All I had was a deadhead back to base and I'm being reassigned. And there are a lot of reserves in Chicago. Why am I being assigned this trip? Furthermore, why is this trip rolling me into my day off? So we like to say that if you are a reserve with a deadhead as your final leg on your pairing, you are prime beef for reassignments. Um, a reassignment of a of a reserve who has a deadhead back to base is a 20I4 reassignment. 20I4 is before 20I6, and 20I6 is usually in local reserves. So they can actually use a visiting reserve who has a deadhead back to base before they use local reserves. So that's why they are hit so much, because they're actually higher up the totem pole. And so when they're reassigned, they still have to comply with Section 20L limitations based upon the originating uh, trip that they were on that we had just talked about, the 20L limitations. Right. So they have to be back by prior to noon based on the trip. But what if they're the last reserve in that base? So the uh, difference is the 20I6 is based off the last reserve day that you have, not the trip that you're originally on. So an example of that would be if you were on a three-day trip and if you were, if you were reassigned at a 20I4, they'd have to have you back by day four. If you were assigned on a 20I6 and you had six days of reserve, they could actually have you back on day seven uh, based upon uh, no reserve available. So what are some other things we need to watch for um, with regards to reassignments? A uh, couple things. Um, if you're a reserve, uh, if you were assigned initially assigned a trip into your FDO, they cannot reassign you into an HDO um, without your concurrence. Uh, another one would be uh, if you have vacation days coming up after a trip uh, or after your reserve days, they can't reassign you into a vacation day. And that goes for a line holder too. So they can't give you a reassignment into a vacation day. Uh, you can be delayed into a vacation day, but you can't be reassigned into a vacation day. Um, other things with reassignments, we talked about... Uh, the 20L limitations, they have to comply with that. There's another thing under 20L that talks about if uh, you're reassigned and you get back into a day off and it's too late for you to commute home, uh, you can ask for a hotel paid for by the company. So that's a little known thing in there that people kind of forget that's in there. So um, 
There's also a thing, uh, if you are delayed, let's say your plane breaks somewhere and you're stuck with it, there is no contractual limitation for when they have to have you back by. It's, it's a reasonableness standard. So if you are stuck with a broken jet and you're stuck with the people and the plane and they want to send you back, you know, two days later, that's, that's legal. You, that, there's no contractual limitation. Uh, you'd have to work it with the FODM if you thought there was a reason to get back sooner than that. But if, um, let's just say the plane breaks and you're stuck with that plane and now they want to ferry it, they let the, let, they've got the passenger somewhere else and now you're going to ferry it. Well, ferry flight's not a reassignment. So now you're under 20N and they have to comply with the 20L uh, uh, re reassignment uh, limitations. So they, it needs to get you back as expeditiously as possible at that point. So Scott, one more thing I'd like to talk about on reserves is if I'm rolled into an FDO, do I get to go home as soon as I land? Say I land at eight in the morning on that FDO. Am I free of duty from there on out and I still get my day restored? Okay, so it really depends on whether you're reassigned into a day or you're just delayed into the day. So it kind of makes a difference. If you're reassigned into a day off, it doesn't matter whether it's an FDO, HDO, whatever, but if you're reassigned into a day off, the crew desk knows about it and per contract, they're gonna take that day off and move it to your next reserve day. So you finish up the trip and you're done. If you're delayed, into a day off, and that could be by one minute. So let's just say you get done at 11.46 at night and your 15-minute debrief takes you into 1.12.01. You've worked one minute into that day off. The crew desk isn't going to do anything. They're going to assume that you're fine being off the rest of the day. And so they're just going to leave everything the way it is. Contractually, you have the right to call the crew desk before you're released from that trip and say you want to remain on the rest of the day. And so they will move that day off now to your next reserve day, or you can bargain with them maybe somewhere else in the month that works for them. But you can now move that day, get your day off restored, and sure you're on reserve the rest of this day, but you're on long call. So essentially you're done at 10 o'clock in the morning and they can't use you for 1245 from the time you got back from that trip. Uh, so, uh, it's a pretty good chance you're not going to get used. So it's a way of maybe getting an extra day off restored for you. Okay, that's good information. All right, we uh, get a lot of deadhead uh, PDRs, um, especially with relation to first-class deadheading. Um, so I know that, and most pilots know that, you know, if you're a line holder and you have a deadhead, they're going to try and book you in first class um, at the time that that gets put onto your schedule or soon thereafter. But uh, where we see questions a lot is the people who are reassigned or who get a, a deadhead later in the month or later in the middle of their pairing. Uh, can you talk to, to how first class applies to those guys? So there's an automated booking engine that, uh, that the, the crew desk uses. And so if you when you get a deadhead, this automated booking engine will go in there and if there's a seat available at the time of booking, it will book you in first class. If there isn't, then it will go to Economy Plus and try to book you in Economy Plus, go on aisle, window, aisle, I'm sorry, aisle, window, middle, priority. And then if it can't get you into Economy Plus because it's just full, it will book you in regular economy. 
even though contractually we don't have to sit back there, it will book you an economy at that point. You'll go to, uh, it'll put you on the upgrade list and you should be at the top of the upgrade list for any open first class seats that may come open. The only caveat to that is if your booking is made within three hours of departure time, then that doesn't happen. You just basically go into that upgrade list based on the company business travel priority. But if it's outside that three hours, more than three hours, you'll be, you should be at the top of that upgrade list. So pilots will often ask, hey, hey, I see the seat map. There are two or three seats available on the seat map, but it's not booking me in first class. Why is that? Because those seats aren't really showing open. You can't go by the seat map. They may already have been bought or they could be spoken for. So the really the only way to check is go in shares and look it up in shares. Okay. We'll put a link to um, how to find that information in shares in the show notes as well. Yeah, a common thing that we get from people is they'll say, hey, there's a seat open. The crew desk won't move me into it. And like I just said, the, the contractual verbiage is if the seat is open at the time of booking, then you're booked in it. If a seat opens up 10 minutes later, there's nothing contractual that says that they have to go and move you into that first class seat. The upgrade engine should move you into it, but the crew desk or the FAODM does not have to go back in and rebook you uh, into that first class seat. It's all about whether it's open when it was booked originally. All right. So Scott, what if that booking engine can only book me a middle seat in Economy Plus? Am I required to take that middle seat? As long as it's Economy Plus, you are. The only the only good thing is that we do have a contractual thing that does give you 50% ad pay for all scheduled flight time. If you sit in Economy, uh, not even Economy Plus, any middle seat, if you're booked in that middle seat, um, you get 50% ad pay for that. In order to get paid for that, just take your uh, uh, your stub that shows what seat you sat in and uh, give it to your chief pilot's office and they'll take care of that. If you have any other questions about deadheading, um, seat selection, uh, you can find answers to that in the did you know as well. Um, One other thing that I found interesting is uh, when I deviate from a deadhead, I'm also entitled to uh, expense entertainment. Is that correct? That's correct. When you deviate, uh, you can expense uh, in-flight entertainment. Contractually, it says you can expense it up to what your original deadhead flight would be. Um, so, But I don't think they really go into it where they nitnoid the, the price of it. Yeah, it seems like domestically now it's the same price all the way across the board. So, all right, What about a reserve who choose to, chooses to deviate? Um, is there a difference between uh, a reserve deviating and a line holder deviating? So when a reserve deviates at the end of a trip, the crew desk can show them on the very next flight back to base, regardless of legalities, far legalities, or contract. And any subsequent assignment is based off that return flight. So an example of that would be, let's say a reserve has a layover because he's run out of duty day. They're laying him over, and he's deadheading back to base the next day. And he happens to live close by, so he wants to deviate and fly home. Well, once he calls up and asks to deviate and they approve it, well, now they're going to throw him on the very next flight from that base, from the, back to his base that evening, even if he wasn't legal for it. And all of a sudden, he ends up with a short call starting in the morning when he wasn't originally supposed to be back until that night. And now they're out of position. And so that's a gotcha. So they don't always do it. 
but contractually they're allowed to do it. So you kind of have to prepare for them to be able to do that. All right. And as a line holder, you don't have to worry about that. In both cases, though, you do need to um, check your schedule to make sure nothing has happened, correct? Yes. Uh, Section 5D has all the dead deviation rules in it, and it has some uh, the, the different types of scenarios. So like a, a deadhead deviation at the end of a trip uh, without a layover or with a layover, and whether you're on a global trip or a basic trip. Um, I'm not going to go through all the scenarios right here, but it's all right there in 5D. So if you've got a deviation at the end of a trip, just look and see what your scenario is so that you make sure you, you do what's required of you. Because we have had pilots who deviated, didn't check their schedule as they're required to, and they just took off, and now they were out of position for a reassignment. Um, we talked earlier about AV days and requiring two-way contact from the company uh, for it to count as an actual block AV day. Um, we also have questions about FBO days. Uh, what is required for it to become an actual FBO trip? So FBO stands by flown by operations, and that's where a trip is bought off a pilot by the company because they want to use it for like a PI's, a PI's currency or they want to do OE training. For some reason, they bought a trip off of you. The thing is, when a, when the crew desk wants to buy a trip off you, and they have to first check and see if it's legal for the person that's trying to take it. So they take that trip off your line. They'll put that FBO code in there. Then they go put it on the other pilot's line to see if it's legal. And if it's not legal, they'll come back and put it back on your line. And so the PDRs we get are someone gets a, a crew companion text message that they've been FBO'd. And then an hour later, the trip's back on, and they want to know if that's legal. And yes, it is, because until the crew desk actually calls you and tells you you've been bought off, that trip is yours. Okay. That's good to know. I've gotten those before uh, on Crew Companion and wondered what they were for. And um, sometimes I've been bought off a trip and sometimes I haven't. So that's, that's good information. One final question uh, for you, Scott, um, is re with regards to minimum time off between trips. For a basic trip, what's the minimum time off? Uh, between trips? 12.45 is scheduled time off. And then it can go down to 10.45 in the actual. So if I have, uh, I'd have to have 12.45 off in order to pick up another trip from the end of my trip to another trip, 12.45. Then if the first trip starts to run late, it can go down to 10.45 without needing any sort of schedule repair. Okay. That's the basic answer. There's some kind of nuances in there too, based upon duty day and length of day and stuff like that on the first trip, which I won't get into. That's all right in there. Section 5F, men time off. Um, but that's that's the general answer for that. Okay. And then what about global trips? Uh, it's 24 scheduled and 22 in actual. All right. And then I've heard the term frequently on the line of uh, mini pack. What does that mean? Mini pack is uh, a situation where you fall below that 1045 or 22 hour minimum that we just talked about and you had a follow-on trip, the crew desk can actually combine those two trips and give you a layover in base, and now they can go down to minimum rest uh, for you. So at that point, um, they have to contact you prior to your release from your first trip, let you know that you're being combined, and give you a layover in base, and then you're down to the, you could go down to 10 hours off if you needed to for a basic trip, nine hours behind the door. All right. 
Well, Scott, uh, thank you for your time. Thanks for being here today and sharing your expertise. It's it's obvious you've spent a lot of time with this contract. Too much. <laughs> Thanks for listening. See the show notes for the links to the master did you know document. Remember that if you have a time critical or FAR question in the current operation, you can file a PDR to the contract hotline. This is Dave Allen. Thanks for listening to the Flight Deck, a leading edge podcast.